0: Welcome to the April DCM podcast. My name's Tom Linnae. And before we get started with the very exciting podcast we've got this month, I'll just remind you that you can subscribe to the podcast via iTunes. Just open your podcast app or however you choose to listen to podcasts. Um, Search for Digital Cinema Media and click subscribe. Now this month, uh, we've got a very special podcast because last week in London, it was Advertising Week Europe. This is one of the biggest weeks for the advertising industry. Uh, Advertising Week is a huge organisation that run a, a a big festival of media advertising in New York and four years ago they moved it to London. Digital Cinema Media have been a partner with them ever since they moved to London and this year they took over the entirety of Picturehouse Central for the whole of last week. Some of the biggest brands in the world held sessions and seminars with some amazing speakers and influential people throughout the industry. And we were lucky enough to hold our own session on the Guardian stage last Wednesday. And we did an interview with uh, Dexter Fletcher. I conducted the interview myself and we recorded the interview and we're going to play it for you in its entirety very shortly. But before I do play that, I just wanted to give you an update on where the cinema industry is at. At the end of Q1, cinema emissions were up 2%, which I think is an, an incredible result. When we think about last year being the fourth biggest year in the last 44 years for admissions, we were kind of uh, uncertain of how 2016 would follow 2015, and as it's proved, it's not proving much of an issue at all. Films like Deadpool and The Revenant and Zootropolis really stepped up over Q1, and as I said, emissions were up 2%. And I think with the strong April we're having already with films such as Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, The Jungle Book, which is really terrific and um, is already up to £23 million in the UK and in close, closing in on the £40 million mark, I think we're going to have a really strong April. And then as of this Friday, you're probably aware... Captain America Civil War is in cinemas and we're expecting this to perform like an Avengers film. I think it's going to be easily the biggest Captain America film. Yeah, I've seen the film and... If you're a fan of the Avengers films, then I think this is probably going to be your favourite Marvel film. Yeah, it delivers all the spectacle that you would hope for. I genuinely think the action in this film is taken to another level. The fight scenes are just jaw-dropping, and it introduces a whole range of new characters, including Black Panther, who's terrific, and Spider-Man makes his first appearance in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and it's probably the Spider-Man you've been waiting for. Tom Holland takes on the role, and he's really terrific. Uh, It's going to be one of the biggest films of the year, and it's out this Friday. And then I think we're in for the biggest April we've had for years. Here's just a selection of what we can expect throughout the next month. We've got Bad Neighbours 2 on the 6th of May. Uh, On the same day, we've got Florence Foster Jenkins, the new film starring Meryl Streep and Hugh Grant about the infamous New York socialite who couldn't sing. I took my mum to see this about two weeks ago, and she absolutely loved it. She's barely stopped talking about it since. A week later, we've got the Angry Birds movie, perfect for families. We've also got the new one from Richard Link later, Everybody Wants Some, which is his spiritual follow-up to Dazed and Confused. Then on the 18th, we've got X-Men Apocalypse. X-Men Days of Future Past was the biggest X-Men film yet. This one has the same people in it, the same director. There's no reason to think this one won't be equally as big. Then a week after that, on the 27th, we've got Alice Through the Looking Glass. Alice in Wonderland took over £42 million in 2010, so there's a huge scope for this one to be big. We've also got Warcraft on the 30th of May and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows that's a really big selection for May half term I'm expecting it to be the biggest May we've had for quite some time and I think there genuinely is something for everyone in that month so now without further ado let's get to my chat with Dexter Fletcher we had a really great turnout the cinema seated about 180 people and we had a full house he spoke very candidly about his career he was very honest and I thought it was a really great chat It it lasts about 35 minutes so it's a bit longer than the normal podcast but hopefully it's worth it So um, I hope you enjoy listening to my chat with Dexter Fletcher and um, I'll, I'll be back next month. Thanks very much. Thanks so much for coming everyone. Uh, Welcome to the digital cinema media session. It's entitled The Nostalgia Resurgence. Um, Last year three of the biggest films of all time were released in the UK. They were Jurassic World, Spectre and Star Wars The Force Awakens. You may have noticed, hopefully some of you saw some of those films, and you may have noticed that they all heavily rely on our collective nostalgia for films earlier in the series. One of the best films of this year, it's in cinemas at the moment, is the Eddie the Eagle movie. And um, it's a film which uh, recalls very vividly and expertly a time that I personally am very fond of. The director of that film was Dexter Fletcher. You may know him from any one of his 98 IMDb acting credits. <laughs> Might be uh, a slight exaggeration. Well, I counted them all. Um, and they range from Elef- The Elephant Man to Topsy Turvy to Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels. All his TV work, um, such as Hotel Babylon, Band of Brothers and something I'm very fond of as well, Press Gang. It, he's recently moved behind the camera with Eddie Eagle. Uh, he, before that, he did two of the best British films in recent years in Wild Bill and Sunshine on Leith. Please welcome Dexter Fletcher. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Nice intro. Cheers. Thanks right.
0: very
1: that much. Good. That was good, that um, I'm not sure how I feel about the nostalgia thing. I have just turned 50. I suppose it's relevant. Anyway, I'm getting on as
0: well. Yeah, don't I'm worry. Um, <laughs> Eddie, quick show of hands. Who here has seen Eddie the Eagle? Oh, great.
1: Oh, good.
0: That's right. Great. So The rest we, of
1: you know what you've got to
0: do now. Yeah, then, now we, we've got 30 minutes to convince about 70 other people to see Eddie the Eagle. Um, <laughs> well, congrats. if
1: that picture alone doesn't do it, I don't know what will.
0: And throughout the session, our Twitter handles are up there. Please do send us nice tweets and use the hashtag and such like. And there will be, hopefully, if we've got time at the end, uh, a couple of questions from the audience. Firstly, congratulations on a wonderful movie. Thank you. You must be very proud of it. Uh, I am, yes. Uh, I mean, you know, making
1: a film's a huge endeavour. Uh, uh, Anyway, you you cut it. And uh, it's my third film, but I think... What's uh, particularly gratifying about Eddie is that it's the first one of my films that has reached a wider audience. It's gone around the world. You know, Fox, the studio, uh, and they sort of saturated America with it uh, before it even came out here. And so that's particularly gratifying and and, and makes me fairly proud to say that, you know, the film is now sort of getting that big international release and a a big audience. And and like you say, you know, lots of people uh, remember the time fondly uh, and then there's a whole generation of people who don't know anything about it, I suppose, and so it's one of those rare occasions where the adults can say to the kids, oh, I know something about this. And they, you know, that gives the the, the the older generation some currency, I suppose. Uh, but, yes, no, I'm very proud of it.
0: And you've made the transition from actor to director look remarkably easy. <laughs> How have you find, found it? Has it been challenging?
1: Uh, yes. I mean, I... T- um, I suppose I'd always wanted to do uh, be a director one one way or another. I mean, i directed a lot of theatre workshops back in my acting past and I'd always made, you know, films with my brother when we were kids and i have been on film sets for all of my life. Since I was six years old, I I was acting. Uh, so I spent a lot of my formative years on film sets. So I feel quite comfortable there. It's a sort of... Uh, it's, a, it's a more natural environment for me than anywhere else, really, because I sort of understand... How I fit into that world, and um, and I think I have a, a kind of broad view of what it is that everybody does on the set, and how that all sort of operates together as a machine, piece of machinery, and 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 delivers that end result. Um, so it was always very exciting for me to to get behind the camera. It was was something of an ambition realised, but also I kind of got more actively involved in everything that was going on because as an actor, you come in and you. And you do your bit and you sit in your trailer, you dress in some nice clothes and someone brings you a cup of tea and, you know, you learn your lines, you don't bump into the furniture and and then you, you go home. Uh, but, of course, with directing, that's that couldn't be further from from uh, what you do, you know. You're involved right from the beginning to right to the end. I mean, literally, it's been two years for Eddie since, since I started on the project, excuse me, and, and just this last
0: week is it's finally kind of...
1: Uh, slowed down for me. So, it's a big two-year commitment.
0: And throughout your career, I mean, you've had a a long career in front of the camera and you've worked with some incredible directors, people like Michael Winterbottom, Derek Jarman, David Lynch. Who would you say you've learnt the most from and uh, has influenced your style of directing?
1: Um, I I couldn't pinpoint any one director. I have been very lucky that I've worked with some incredible directors, as you said, and I'm. Uh, I was very young at some of those times, and I think it's really just a case of osmosis, you know, you're kind of around these people and you sort of uh, kind of pick up on on how they work. You know, working with Mike Lee was a great experience because I was very interested in what he did with the actors. But I've said it before, and it's actually interesting, is when the penny really dropped for me, it was how much I kind of maybe understood uh, about directing was when I worked on a couple of really low-budget horror films that were really bad, and uh, there was this couple, There was this bloke who was a, a gold uh, merchant. He dealt in secondhand gold or something. This big, heavy set guy, East End guy, who wanted to be a film director, and he had enough money to make a film. And I ended up on this film being paid quite well. And he was absolutely awful, this bloke. Didn't know what he was doing at all. And I just sat there going, well, if this fucking guy can direct a film,
0: what the hell's going on? You weren't tempted to give him some instructions?
1: No, no. I'd sat there and watched, and I uh, remember thinking to myself, "Well, I could do better than that." And how's this guy made it happen? And actually, that was the catalyst for me to go, "Well, I can either sit here and go, I can do better than that, and not do anything about it, or I can sit, uh, I can actually put that to the test and see whether that is true." <laughs> and so that's that kind of inspired me to to uh, actually really get active about doing something about what I believed. and, and and I think all those other directors that you mentioned, you know from David Lynch to Ken Russell to Derek Jarman, all those sort of things they, they sort of are part of my collective consciousness, if you like of of, of what directing is um, and that 's just my good fortune that I, I was lucky enough to work with those people I, I, but I never s- sat there studying them as such or, or saying oh there's this one person who, who i i really uh, adhere to having said that though alan parker who uh, who um, I worked on Bugsy Malone when I was nine years old, and uh, I, he's still a friend now. So, uh, and he's, his career trajectory has always been very interesting to me, because he always tries to choose interesting material, and you couldn't really pinpoint what kind of films he makes. He just makes great films and interesting material. So if there's anyone I kind of look up to, I would say Alan Parker.
0: Do you think you'd be a director you'd like to work for as an actor?
1: Uh, God, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think it'd be brilliant. <laughs> um, I, I, I hope so. I mean, I, I have a good time with the actors. You see, what's what's really always engaging and interesting to me is that actors are all sort of heading to the same destination, but they all come at the, from completely different angles, you know. And and um, and I always find that extremely engaging and in, in, intriguing. I think. Because of my acting background, as well, I have uh, I kind of understand the acting process better and actors as as people. I understand that they lead from the front, and it's a very tough place to be. And where some, you know, I work with producers who go, "Oh, the fucking actors are kicking off again. Our actors are, god, they're a pain in the arse. Why don't they just do it?" You know, and I'm, you know, I can I can get that side of it as well. But I also understand that there's something very exposing about being an actor. You have to be able to put yourself out in a way that that the rest of us hiding behind the camera really don't need to do. You know, if I do a bad job, that's a discussion amongst my, my peers and my bosses. Whereas if an actor does a bad job, everyone goes, well, you were shit in that. And people seem to be able to, you know, quite generously offer up their opinion because you've put yourself out there. And so I understand that there's, there's, a, there's a more sensitive element to it. So I do, I get on well with the actors. I like to create a safe environment for them to feel like they can take risks and, and do... And do their best work because that's you know when people get nervous, that's that's what kills creativity, and, and creativity is absolutely essential in in, in mounting any kind of endeavour, really, uh, to my mind.
0: You know. And moving on to uh, Eddie Eagle more specifically, what first attracted you to this story?
1: Uh, I, I think. Well, it was a period that I understood. I was around in 88, and, and even though I was only 22 and, and probably focusing on other things, I do remember it well. Um, but I thought... Also, what, what the film does, it gives us an opportunity to sort of tell this story. know, Eddie got a bit of a rough deal back in the 80s. You know, he was this kind of joke, and we everyone sort of wanted to disown him, although he was our only ski jumper and was out there and very public figure. You know, people... We really embraced him around the rest of the world, he became uh, famous. and But in England, it always felt like we were all sort of, like, slightly embarrassed by him and, and made him a bit of a joke. And uh, and I think reading the script and meeting the man and understanding what goes into becoming an Olympian is, is, is far... It was very interesting to me, because, obviously, you know, whether you win a medal or you don't, if you compete, you have to commit and sacrifice the same amount as as the medal-winners do. So. I found that interesting that Eddie's story, although he wasn't the winner, there was, a, there was a great story behind this man that he wanted his... You know, he had a dream and he wanted to pursue it and he got there uh, through sheer determination, pig-headedness and, and very little talent. And, and I thought that that was quite intriguing to be able to tell that story in a heroic way or, a, or inspiring... You know, a, yeah, inspiring way. Because... And, and also the, I knew there was going to be a lot of fun because he's just like that. He's a fun guy. and I wanted the film to sort of represent him and his kind of attitude. I mean, the thing is, he, he knows. He said himself, he, when he goes to the top of the jumps, he's always scared because he knows that when he goes down, he's committed and that he could very, in all likelihood, hurt himself quite badly. He's not stupid. He's not, like, up there and just... Way! He throws himself down, because that wouldn't be a particularly interesting or endearing character. I'm mean a... a
0: short film. Well, well
1: yeah, it's just he, he wouldn't change. You know, he'd just be an idiot throwing himself off a ski jump. But the, the fact is, we you know, we made him aware that he could hurt himself. He knew what he was taking on. We, he understands when people are taking the piss out of him. You know, and it chooses to ignore that and still go ahead and, and, and stick to what he wants what he believes in and and, and it 's a, it's a film about someone who just believes in themselves. and i i 'm a firm believer in that that you know if you believe in yourself <laughs> that 's the most important thing because it doesn 't matter what what other obstacles there are around you what other people might present to you if you if you keep firmly going ahead with that belief rightly or wrongly <laughs> then then you get somewhere uh,
0: i mean I, i've very vividly remember the Carrague Olympics and I do remember Eddie the Eagle as a bit of a figure of fun and yeah. I th- was that a conscious decision to kind of uh, readjust the public perception of his character? Because I came out of the film thinking he was an inspiring character. Right,
1: good. No, uh, I mean, I don't, yes, I mean, that's what I got when I read it and, and, and um, I don't know, I mean, I don't sort of set an agenda with my films other than for it to be entertaining uh, and... You know, there's there's, lot, there's lots of different things come out of the film for for, for different people. You know, it, it resonates with with people in a different way. But what's when White does that is because he, he's just it's a, just a very human story. It, it's it's just very straightforward. There's not a great deal of special effects, and there's there's nothing really fantastical about it. it it's quite a straightforward human story, and I think that's where where people connect with it. But uh, no, I just wanted to make something that was entertaining. Uh, that always seems to be my own. Personal remit, and then and then stuff just comes out of that.
0: I mean, I've got to ask about Hugh Jackman. Um, you've worked with some great actors throughout the three films and throughout your career, but how is it directing an actor like Hugh Jackman, who is an, a genuine A-list star, isn't he? Mm. Is he different from walking in and directing? Uh, uh, someone. No, L- one of the, smaller L- the truth of it. No, I mean, because it's always a delicate
1: moment directing any actor. You ha- I mean, it's so easy to throw them off of off of what they're there to achieve. But Jackman is is renowned as the nicest uh, man in Hollywood, and it, it's it's true. I mean, you know, look, he's a, he's an A-lister star, and he's an A-lister star for a reason. He's very good at what he does, and. Um, and uh, we had a particularly good relationship because like I said earlier, you know, I want to create an environment for actors where they're willing to take risks and they feel safe to do that. And he, and he did that, you know. Uh, he, he he felt comfortable, and you know, there was there's stuff that I asked him to step outside his his comfort zone, playing a, a superhero, he's playing a drunk, you know, and. And looks quite craggy around the edges and stuff, and um, that was just the beginning of it, really. And, but no, he's 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 an A-lister because he's great at what he does. He knows exactly who he is. He, you know, in terms of where he is on the pecking order, it, it's not like something he he has to go around sort of convincing and reminding everybody of, like, hey, I'm very important. You know, he doesn't. You know, he's in fact he's very good at at being very normal guy. Aussie bloke who, you know, goes, I'm lucky, I got really lucky. I sent uh, a tape on an audition to the people who are doing Wolverine and I'm Wolverine. You know, it's not like he's like, I got this, man, <laughs> and I... You know, he's not got anything to prove like that. He's just he's just very, very sort of humble, which is what's lovely. Um, And he's hard-working, he hangs around on the set, he doesn't go disappearing off to his trailer, he doesn't keep people waiting, he's just he's pretty perfect as it goes. Um... So I was very lucky. I mean, it's more interesting when because Christopher Walken's in the film as well, and that's more daunting in a way because uh, because he is such an icon and he's a guy of 60 plus. And, you know, he has a very particular way of working. You've only got a couple of the, days
0: with him, I'm guessing.
1: A couple of days with him, exactly, you know. And, and does he know who Eddie the Eagle is? I doubt it very much, you know. he Does Does he know like, this funny little English guy is in Pinewood who's directing the film? No. You know, he. the only time he really sort of engaged was when Hugh Jackman walked in, because he had a point of reference. Oh, right, I know who that is. I understand where I am now. But before that, he was like, what the fucking hell was going on here? <laughs> he, he's, didn't, you know,
0: we stuck him in this box and... Um, and every actor seems to have a Christopher Walken impression as well. Did, did anyone yes. bust it out in front of him?
1: No, uh, no, 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 no. I, Jack, Jackman tried to convince me that I was talking to him, like because before he turned up, yeah, we were all going, ow Walken is coming in to do the <laughs> movie. Uh, it's going to be great." And Christopher. And um, uh, so, yeah, I, I think I might have slipped into it a bit when I was chanting. But that he was more interesting to talk to because. I was like, "Fuck me!" He's the deer hunter, you know. It's like it's, it's serious, it's serious time, and and also because he was slightly confused, I was actually <laughs> wary of him. But once he he clicked in, he was there, and and he was also very engaged. and And these, you know, you realise that these people are, are big stars for a reason, and it's they know what they're doing. It's not their first rodeo, and uh, uh, but he was more daunting in a way. Uh, Yeah, but any actor, you have to be so careful. You know, you could say the wrong thing, and it completely goes, oh, what do you mean? What do you mean, I thought I was doing that? And then it's like, oh God, I'm really in trouble now, because, you know, they sort of get upset, and are quite delicate. You have to be careful.
0: Moving on to the the look and the feel of the film, and this fits with the theme of nostalgia. Calgary 1988 was one of the first major sporting events that I watched religiously on TV. Um, watching the film really did kind of take me back to how I felt watching it. How important was it to tap into people's sense of nostalgia for these big events um, and the 70s and 80s? And I, I got pangs of nostalgia just seeing the videos under Eddie's parents' TV. I was mm-hmm. like Black Rain and First Bueller's Day yeah. Off. And I was like, that was just like my friend's house. Yeah. And um, did you feel like re- you, you, that was something you really wanted to tap into?
1: Um yes i i suppose so i mean it, it just it came with it came with the territory if you know what i mean it's like we were doing a film that was set in uh, you know 87 88 and and you you have to be uh mindful of that and you you that's 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 where your film is set it's a period piece i mean uh, it's just it's just fortunate and lovely that it's within living memory it's not like doing you know uh, topsy-turvy because no one's around now who was, a, you know, we can only imagine what it was like, whereas with, with Eddie, we, you know, a lot of us were there. And uh, and so when all those old cars come out onto the set and, you know, we start talking about, well, what's the bathroom going to look like? It's got to have cork tiles, it's got to have cork tiles. <laughs> you know, it's from the 70s, 80s, you know, there's all this sort of stuff that, that's in your own living memory That that things that do very quickly sort of bring a, a, a surge of nostalgia and, and, the font, and memory. The uh, font
0: of the, the Calgary font as well. The font, yeah.
1: I oh, know, but that's... And, there's, and it's, the film starts in the 70s as well, 73, and even the font that we use there we're very particular about it because it's a shorthand that that immediately places us uh, and the audience where we just want to remind you. And if we can do that with a logo that looks like the old swap shop font or whatever, whatever it was that we all sat around and watched there, then then... Of course, there's an immediate connection to that, and, and I think that that's part of the winning, winningness of, of of Eddie. That, yeah, there's a there's it's within living memory, and and we we connect to it and, and um, enjoy those feelings because it just reminds you of when you were young, when you know none of this mattered. <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? It, it was it was easier, simpler time, as it were. Um so but it, it, it wasn't kinda of like, ah oh, right, we've really got to get the nostalgia thing. It was just it just comes with the territory. It's there and and the more you, you, you delve into it, the the more fun you have and you go oh, then what about that and these, you know, and action men and you know, doing these bedroom was like you know, great fun because it's a chance to dip into your own childhood memories, I suppose.
0: And do you think that's why films that I mentioned in the intro, things like Jurassic World and Star Wars, are currently so popular?
1: Well, I mean, yeah, there, there, is, there is an element of that. I mean, the, you know, in terms, in terms of filmmaking, uh, um, these are recognisable titles, and, and that uh, is, in, in salability in terms of when you've got something to market and you want get to it, get it out there, if people go, oh, I know what Star Wars is, that's, that's half your work is already done. If you want to sell... You know, selling Eddie the Eagle in America, for example, is a, is a massive uphill battle because no-one knows who he is and no-one knows what that title means, whereas here we understand what that title means. So I, I, I agree that there's there's a certain nostalgia that people go, great, but also in terms of selling it and marketing it and having the product that, that you know your cinema-going uh, audience is going to understand what it is and you have to explain very little, boom, you know... If I say, oh, there's a film with Night Rider. I go, well, I know what that is. You know what I mean? It's, like, it's got to have that title that people can connect and understand to. Um, and so I think that might be an element of also... I mean, I, I appreciate what you're saying about th- those films, you know, um, but I also think learning more and more about the industry, as I, as I am as a director, that, that because you pitch ideas and people go, yeah, but what's the, you know, what's the title? You have a good title, a star, and what's the budget? You know, how do we, you know, these three things are just, you know, the title's got to carry. Even if you don't have a big star, you've got to have a title that people recognise and then they'll go.
0: It's just... The three films you've made to date, so Wild Bill, Sunshine on Leith and Eddie the Eagle, seem very different. Do you think there's consistent themes running through the films that you can identify? Um,
1: uh, I, I suppose there is. They're all quite sort of positive in their in their take on things. Really. They yeah, all feel I, good.
0: I, feel, I, I, I walked home faster after watching each film. Well, that's very nice. Well, there you go.
1: That's, that's
0: good, I think. You didn't that want to go good, you yeah. didn't want we, to go the loo or yeah, No, no. <laughs> the, the cinema had toilets. Right, OK. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, I think maybe that's the only thing. I mean, I try... It's like I said, Alan Parker is, a, is, a, is, is a, uh, a great role model for me in that respect and he always seems to manage to do interesting and different things, so I... Um, I do that, but I, I, but I think because I enjoy being on the set so much, I enjoy actors, I enjoy the process, I enjoy learning about what the other departments are doing, because that's all relatively new to me, my films so far, Touchwood, always seem to have this, uh, this feeling of excitement and fun in them that, that seems to translate, it's, it's not a given uh, uh, but judging by audience reaction I don't see it, I sit there and watch the film and, and try to make the best film I can, but, but in, it seems that when people come out they go, aye, that was really... They feel good, which is, which is I think, a good thing. Gotta, i got to... I want to try and do something about, you know, war next, where everyone gets blown up and killed and see if I can do the, the same thing.
0: And oh, no, no. <laughs> From uh, your TV work, things like Press Gang mm. to Games Master to uh, to Locked Dogs, Two Smoking Barrels, you have been part of um, cultural events and films and TV shows that people think of very fondly. How does that make you feel? Um... Yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: that's that's you know again. That's that's more luck than judgment. Uh, um, accident. Do you get people coming design. up to you
0: quoting the Lock, lines? Uh,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. I mean, look, like I said, I, you know, I I'm fifty, and I, my first job was uh, in a film called Steptoe and Son Rides Again, which was uh, f- uh, forty forty four years ago. And. Um, and I've done a lot of things in the interim and, and it's it's usually uh, people, you know, if they don't know, they go, I know you, where do I know you from? And then I have to try and look at the person and think, well, what would they possibly have seen that I, <laughs> I have to then start looking, you know, uh, which is quite interesting, you know, if, if they're sort of a 50-plus-year-old woman with blue rinse, then I might be able to go, oh, right, so you probably saw Hotel Babylon, and if it's a bloke driving a white van, I can go, oh, so it's probably lock stock, you know, and if it's a journalist, it's probably press gang. It's... I mean, you know, it it varies. It's... It's it's good, because it means I have to just look that bit you know I, I don't get it a lot but no people are always very nice i mean i think you know it's again it's the nostalgia thing because i have been around and i was in children's shows and i was in bugs in malone and and stuff that were part of of, of people's childhood that's always you know is always a good place to be because people generally on the whole remember their childhood with fondness and and all they'll rejoice remember enjoying press gang or bugs in malone or whatever it was and they'll and they're uh, invariably extremely nice, so I suppose i because of I've been around so long and in so much that that's where that 's where people uh, remember me, which is always really lovely
0: i'm going to ask one more question, and then i'm going to come to you guys for a couple of questions. so if you have got something, get thinking, and we'll get a mic to you shortly um, uh, There's there's always this discussion about the future of cinema. Mm. Um, There's been a lot of press about screening room in the US at the moment where you can pay $50 and a film that's in cinemas will be in your front room. Mm. Uh, And some directors are for it, some directors are against it. Eddie the Eagle Mm. is a film which has been competing against really big films in the cinema, and it's done really well. It's it's on track to be the biggest British film of the year to date. Um, Do you still think the cinema is a a special place to go and watch films? I do, yeah.
1: And I think, this, yes, I mean, there's always going to be a need for for some young people to go and sit in a dark room together,
0: <laughs> <laughs> with no
1: parents around,
0: yeah. To be able to, on, on the Well, yeah, I know it's a
1: good excuse. Hopefully, <laughs> they're, they're watching the film. You can't guarantee it, but you know, there's 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 that space in between, you know. Being an adult and going to the boozer or going out to a club or whatever, when your parents you say to your parents, I'm going to the cinema with my girlfriend or my boyfriend or whatever it is, then you're going to, okay, great, they're going to go and watch a film. And, uh, but I think that, that, you know, if you look back, even through all the ancient civilizations, if you go back to the Greeks and the Romans and stuff and they're digging up all these things, there's always an arena. There's always a, a space where people go and collectively enjoy some form of entertainment, be it barbaric or otherwise. Um, and that seems to me to be a fairly universal thing, that there's somewhere, there's something in the psyche, or I don't know, whatever you're... That's where people like to come together and enjoy that experience together as a whole, you know, to feel part of that collective... Shared experience, and that's what these are our modern-day arenas, you know, aren't they? They're, they're, they're like sporting events or, or, or whatever, and they're, they're, there's something that I, I believe that, you know, you can watch football on the telly, but it doesn't stop football stadiums from being full every week, because there's something about being there in that collective uh, thing. I mean, you know, it's not a perfect analogy, but... I, I, I hope, anyway, that... I mean, I always want to see it. I, I, I want to watch, you know, Reverend, Reverend on my, you know, 30-inch, whatever, whatever it is, when I can come and see it here. And I'm sure that's not lost on, on people. I don't know.
0: Does anyone have a question in the audience? Great. Uh, can we get him a microphone, please? yeah. Um, hey. Quick question. Um, there's been a lot of talk about... Franchises making comebacks, uh, adaptations being made. Do you? Would you ever have an interest in directing a franchise film, like Mar- a Marvel film or a Transformers film or something like that?
1: Yeah. When do we start?
0: <laughs> Keep uh, posted. Uh,
1: yeah. If you've got an idea, you've got a suggestion, that'd be great. Uh, yeah. No. I, I look. I mean, why not try and reach as high as possible? I'd rather, you know, I'd rather yeah, try it and say, yeah, I did it. I mean, I'm not. You know, I'm not an art house guy. I mean, I mean, I I, 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 don't know. I just have this saying in the back of my head: is that art takes care of itself, and so that means that it's the other stuff you've got to concentrate on. You know, I, I believe that the endeavour cr- is creative in its very nature, anyway, and and um, and I would like yeah to be able to get those big canvases and those those big uh, those. Big ideas and themes, and see if you can make humanise them. Because my films always do that. I always just try to, hum, you know, keep the people real. And I'm sure that's an endeavour of of most film directors. I don't know, you know, some people are very effects driven. I would like to. Be, I know there's pe- great people who would do that. I would like to sort of. I would like to go and see one of those Marvel films and really give a shit about some <laughs> of those guys. Because I don't. When I just go and see them, I don't know about. Yeah, I just don't care. Because don't. I, I don't know anyone who can fly. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Or, or a billionaire who can put on his suit and go? I don't, so I need to—I need to be able to find a way to connect to those people. So I'd be interested for that reason. It, it might be impossible. I'd be—you know, i just like to have an opportunity to find out.
0: Might be a vacancy on Kingsman too. Who knows? Um, no, no i that. slide yeah. that. Uh, that gentleman there. Hi. Yeah. Hi. Um, yeah. Your second film, *Sunshine on Leith*. Yeah. Oh, I absolutely loved it. Thank and you. But one of the things I thought is, like, a second film was a big musical with yeah. lots of choreography, yeah. and obviously there's a, uh, there's a lot uh, that goes into that. Yeah. Did you ever feel, what, you know, this is quite a big step for, for what is effectively a fledgling filmmaker, and were there any moments on set where you're like, oh, shit, I don't actually know how to do this? <laughs> <laughs> no, not once ever. <laughs> I was first,
1: thoroughly prepared at all times. Yeah, no. I'd wake up in the middle of the night going, "What am I doing? <laughs> what is the... Yeah, you know, I mean, because while I build my first film, it was about you know, it's a very London story about a bloke who gets out of prison and finds his kids living alone on a housing estate, East London. Good, I know where I'm at. You know, I know all the characters. I wrote it and uh, with a friend, and I knew where as whereas, and so that was a deliberate choice though. In that way, it was like, okay, you know, to make your first films hard enough. The tricky thing is, is whether they let you do it again. And I suddenly realised, oh, they are going to let me do another film? Right. So I got to do something, you know, as, that it tests me as much as possible, but also say, right, OK, can I really make a film that, that's not just my own, my own story, as it were? And, and um, so that was very deliberate in that way. But, yeah, I, all the time you wake up. And, and, then, and then I had stuff like, you know, there was, there was a song in it that I would cut very early on in the, in the, uh, in the, in the scripts. So I was like, this, this is not going to work. I don't know how to do it. We're going to... So I cut it. I thought, I got away with that one. And then the producer came to me three days before we started filming and went, ah, I've just spoken to the financier. He said he paid for 13 songs and he wants that song back in. I was like, you know, we have done all this prep on everything. I was like, shit. So I had to make it up on the day, literally. And it's the one, uh, it's the second song in the film where the two guys get back from the war and they're sort of bouncing down the street and the proclaimers walk out of a pub and they're, you know, and it's actually... It was one of the most successful numbers in it because this is a sort of a complete unpreparedness about it that, that makes it feel, <laughs> you know, really quite vibrant and and fun and immediate, which is what it needs to be. They're happy to be home, and and so I, I kind of always, I'm always happy to embrace those things that I'm like, you know, lots of stuff. I'm a great believer in getting there and seeing what happens, what what people make happen. You know, you do all the prep and the storyboards and all that sort of stuff, but you put the actors in and and. And it's there's always going to be something that surprises you. You've got to be able to embrace that. So uh, it was intentional, th- that. I wanted to uh, see that I could, could do it.
0: So when you wake up in the middle of the night and you're wracked with self-doubt, how do you deal with that? How do you get up and actually make affirmative decisions that move Well, generally, up-forward? I just
1: roll over and go back to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Say, don't worry about it. There's not much you can do. I mean, look, you know, you deal with the prep in the world and you, you, you work with the teams and you listen and you talk and you and you discuss, um, it comes down to that self-belief thing that I was talking about earlier. It's just, you know, you. you it's not like you can suddenly go, oh, what, you know what, I'm not going to do it, I won't, uh, I, I, I can't. It's not an option, is it? It's so... You work that bit harder. You work that uh, so hard that, you, that, that, that that doubt goes away, but I, I, it doesn't ever go. It, there's there's got to be an element of that about it. There's got to be an element of how do I engage with this? How do we... You know, make. It, I don't want to go there and sit there and be like playing chess while I'm looking at a monitor. You know, I've seen that happen as well. You know, where people are so disengaged with the whole process that they're like, yeah, yeah, whatever, cut, roll. And they're more interested in what, and that to me is not particularly exciting. And um, uh, and I and I, you know, that's that, I, you know, I'm an actor. That's that goes with the territory as well. Oh God, I'm terrible. Oh no, I love all that old stuff. You know, um, uh. So it's just about sort of working through it, I suppose.
0: We're getting short time. So um what's next for you? Not like straight after this, I mean in your career. Oh right.
1: Uh, yeah, so got another meeting. Um <laughs> uh, I don't know, I, I wanna I wanna direct again. I I um I, that's I'm actively looking for 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 scripts. Uh and, I'm, of course, I'm getting lots of feel-good kind of, hey, there's a woman who discovers a wall garden and it's a true story and everyone in the community comes together and they all manage to buy a new bed for the hospice or whatever. Oh, <laughs> God, please. Um, <laughs> uh, there's lots of that coming my way, which I really don't want to do. Literally, I would, I would like to do something uh, about the First World War that would be interesting. I would like to sort of, like, get to grips with with something quite... Human and kind of compelling and tragic and dramatic, and uh, that's what I would like to do and something I can show. Uh, hopefully, I can find a way of telling the story about some pain.
0: And <laughs> as we are at advertising with Europe, uh, yes. you are or you were the voice of a very well-known advert brand, weren't weren't you? Were you, were you the voice of McDonald's? Is that correct?
1: I am the voice of you McDonald's. Are? I am. Well, you
0: get your chicken McFlurry any other time. If <laughs> you, <want. laughs> you walk into <laughs> McDonald's and they're still like, "He's here, guys. Get him." <laughs>
1: Yeah, when I start talking, people are just like, I really fancy a burger, I don't know what it is. Yeah,
0: they're, like, I'm, they're just like, I'm loving it. <laughs> um, we are out of time, I'm afraid, but um, it's been a, a real pleasure chatting to you. Likewise. Thank you so Thank much. You. Put your hands Cheers. together Thank for Dexter Fletcher. Thank you.